I'm Michelle Olivier, and you're listening to Hey, I Want Your Job, the podcast that looks at amazing jobs and what it takes to get them. Welcome to Hey, I Want Your Job, and today we have an awesome crazy and special episode. Instead of one guest, I have three guests and two of them are really exciting. And one of them is my sister. So <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. And um, I'm really excited to have all four of us. And we'll talk about why there are four of us in just a second. But first, I'm going to go around with our usual um, greeting. And if everybody will just go around and say your name and your job title, Janice, we'll start with you. Hey, I am Janice Malolo, aka Wellness Diva 3.0, and my job title with two sisters is co-CEO and social media guru. All right, Carol Sue. Good morning, everyone. This is Carol Sue Ream, aka Naughty Boss, Lady Canna, also the other half of two sisters. I'm in health and wellness, along with co-CEO of our two sisters podcast and business so we're super excited and thank you so much for inviting us you're really welcome thank you guys so much so um i think most of our listeners know that i was on two sisters a few uh weeks ago and that was amazing and so i've invited them here and we suggested they have two sisters i have two sisters so the last to get to introduce herself and certainly not the least in my heart uh bridget go ahead Hi, good morning. Um, my name is Bridget Uriegas, and I am a second grade teacher here in San Antonio, Texas. And also my fabulous baby sister, which I feel like True. is what you should have led with, really. It's basically <laughs> my title, Michelle's okay, fabulous baby sister. Well, I mean, I feel like the fabulous is sometimes negotiable. Am I right? Well, like and- Janice, back me up. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, all the time, she just in different ways. She would have said that she's the younger sister to imply that I'm the older sister, which I am. So we we kind of tag team on that as well. So it's kind of cool that sisters can do that. It is. How, and what? So for Days and I, for Bridget and I, it's uh, eleven years. What's your? Uh, if you don't mind my asking, is no. it a big difference or a little difference? A little difference. Four years. Okay. All right. That's what it is for for me and our brother. Um, who doesn't get to come here because he's not a sister. So, you know, no. he gets to get his own podcast. Um, so I think that uh, it's so interesting that you guys have started this business together. After I started podcasting, I made, of course, Bridget listen to my podcast because that's what you do, right, with your sisters. Um, and she was like, okay, well, you're lame, but we should totally start a podcast <laughs> with her feedback immediately. So my very first question, we're going to be quiet. And I went, um, Janice and Carol, so if you can just tell us a little bit about like, whose great idea was it to start a podcast and has it always been a great idea? I think that's a great question because I think a lot of times when people start out, they're not sure how to start out. And it really started with, we always said things in passing. Two Sisters was born And then that weekend that we officially started, I happened to be speaking with her on a Saturday and I said, hey, we should, you know, with the digital age and everybody being online, we should start a podcast. Yeah, okay, go ahead and get everything set up. I'm like, oh, okay. Now, I didn't know anything about podcasts, even hosting a podcast. 
how to get on Zoom and, you know, hook it to Facebook. Thus, the podcast was born and we have 186 episodes under our belt right now. Wow. Wow. Like I, yeah, that's, that's a lot. And I have to say, I think the other thing it's important to note is that you started this like not in COVID. So you started when Zoom was not ubiquitous, right? Like we all learned about Zoom in the last little bit. No, actually, we actually did start. Oh, okay. Okay. We did start last year. What happened was we were at a pure pivotal moment with numbers. We're big, Jan and I are both big numbers people. And the year that I was born was 1958. And the year that she was born was 1962. So this, in 2020, Janice was going to turn 58 on the year that I was born. And I was turning 62 on the year that she was born. So we really felt that that was relevant. 5862 always really meant a lot to us. And we started out talking about we're both in health and wellness, different aspects of it, but always talked about doing a a co-project together and also co-authoring. Janice is, I believe, a 13-time bestseller author, co-author. And we talked about doing a joint project together, which we are still in the process of doing. And it's called The Quarantine Awakening. And it was really through that that Two Sisters was was born and through that that is where the podcast came into came into play so it was really okay we're doing this it was all in 2020 and we haven't even celebrated a full year we're we're getting close to that pretty close to that right now but it really has been something that we've always wanted to do we've always wanted to do a joint project together and we just, you know, it wasn't really, it was never really a question of timing. We always knew we were going to do it. It was just take that first step forward and do it. And through the blessings, because there's many blessings from the virus that came out. And one was knowing that we had to pivot our businesses, like I'm sure you both did. You being a teacher, Bridget, you being an entrepreneur, Michelle. So you had to pivot your business. You had to adapt Absolutely. to what was yeah. going on. So we just said, you know, I, I got on a few different entrepreneur Zooms. I, I started to do some workshops and I really just had this inkling that at the time being at 62, which is not old, 62 yeah. is just a number, but thinking all these projects, all these goals, all these, this vision, I didn't want them to go to the graveyard. I mean, time, time is not promised to any of us. So when Jan said we had that talk shortly after January 1st, which was what, which was technically before the virus, it just kind of mushroomed to where it is today. And the blessings that we have received, the people that we've met, the clients and customers we have helped through either coaching, either, you know, just sharing all about health and wellness and what we do. And then our viewers, our viewership and, and obviously meeting you and having other guest speakers has been like no other. These were these were the golden nuggets and the blessings that came out of 2020. For sure. I think that's so I, I love the idea that there that it's a focus on the blessings that came out. Cause I do think that there are some really good things. I know Bridget for you fighting uphill with teaching throughout all of this, it probably feels like it's really hard to find <laughs> any silver linings at all. But I do <laughs> think 
Oh, sorry. Actually, it, it is, but I there's a lot of silver linings in teaching in the education field as well. Like it's it's more difficult to see um, doing you know twice the job in the same amount of hours is is a lot, but the technology use I see out of my students, um, the future that I see for them and how much easier that path is going to be because of the forced integration of technology is, it, it's, it's definitely a silver lining for me. Um, and it showed me some things as myself as a teacher that, I mean, Michelle, you know me. And so our family is super tech savvy. I've had my own computer since I was five years old. I can do most things on my own. Like technology is not an issue. And so I really valued myself on that. And then when COVID hit, all of a sudden I realized that as a teacher, I dropped the ball. My kids were not prepared to go virtual. They were not ready to use technology in the ways that they needed to. And so it really kind of made me reflect on me as a teacher and see that there are parts that even I that take for granted and, and don't think about the fact that my kids need to be specifically taught how to use Google Classroom. And so, I mean, there were definitely some silver linings that came out of it. I feel like, you know, the kids that went through COVID are gonna be so much better prepared for the level of technology that's gonna be in their life in the future. You know, I think that's so interesting because one of the things, Bridget's right, like our family, let's just say we're early adopters on all things technology. I think that would be the polite way to put it. Um, I, my husband is a super nerd. Uh, Bridget's is not. He is the, the outlier in the family who was like, you are all so weird. Um, but uh, one of the things my husband and I have talked about a lot is that we really believe that at the turn of the 20th century, literacy was the main socioeconomic divider, right? Like if you could write, your economic prospects were totally different than if you couldn't read and write. And the majority of the population couldn't read and write. And so we believe that at this stage, and especially as our kids get older, the socioeconomic differentiator is going to be coding. If you can't speak, read and write code, that your usefulness within any kind of a business environment is going to be at the same level. We think it's kind of on par with that. So even though our kids are tiny, small, like the tiger mom in me, like that's where I'm pushing them in that direction is very much like you need to learn to code now. You need to grow up with that being a language and a way that you think, because then when it's time for a work environment, you're going to really but that's going to be necessary there. I know, uh, Janice and Carol, so you guys are at different places with your kids. I can see fabulous photos behind you, Janice, of, of what can happen. Look, Daze, there is, there is a way to survive. So what is kind of your thought on that? And are we crazy or, or what are you thinking? We are crazy. Let me answer that one straight away. <laughs> Go ahead, Katsu. Oh, I'll start off. Sure. Absolutely. What I would say is no, I mean, I, I look at it from a totally different aspect because I'm also going to look at it from technology, which that is not my strong suit. That's more my sister's strong suit. I look at more from a mindset perspective and what, while what you, you both are on point with the technology piece to that, which is so important in education today, because I mean, we look back to, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the digital age, how things have changed, social media, 
it changes every day daily to see children and again i think it's age really depending on the age group obviously elementary school i would probably say three third grade and under really need that one they need that that physical contact they need to see the teacher's mouths for uh, pronunciation for for language arts and they need that this other part of schooling is the social aspect of it so when i look at my grandchildren and and our grandson is here and he's remote learning and he's going to stay remote learning uh throughout the year you do see uh, a difference in the teaching styles of you know teachers had to become some become creative you may be really creative in person but it's a whole different ball game when you're behind a computer so like i'm sure bridget really had a pivot on okay i normally do this a b and c that is not going to work being behind a computer today i got to witness him doing gym class via online so his teacher he's very blessed he's got an excellent teacher and kudos to all the teachers out there because you had a mass pivot you know you're not only teaching but there's something to say about the nourishing aspect of it some students i can only imagine don't have that fundamental great background of maybe two parents in the household depending on their economic economic and financial situation are they getting those three meals a day some students rely on that so there's a whole gamut of how this virus has really impacted how you teach but also how that child learns so you know kudos to all of you you know from my aspect i see it because i you know my grandchildren i do not have school age they're they're adult children now but to see what witness my daughter you know is the parent and she also has to balance being kind of the assistant teacher because he's in first grade they sometimes need that assistance with the program or whatever they're learning or hey mom i'm stuck where are you so i think it's a dual role depending on the age of the child <clears throat> excuse me so i i think it's amazing and i applaud you and also really showing the value of how integration and digital really is going to impact them going forward. Jan, don't you don't you agree with that? Oh, most definitely and I think the creativity aspect of it, you know, I think of everything that our, you know, like Jedrick and Reagan have been through as far as, you know, getting up to speed with the technology aspect of it. In fact, I I would bet to say that Jedrick is more tech savvy than I am. And that's, you know, <laughs> but what is interesting about it is, you know, obviously we always look for, as we said, the golden nuggets that in the bless many blessings that have happened. And I have to go back to when we initially in January, January, 2020, when we were again, kind of talking and passing about doing something together. And it wasn't until um, we were well into just starting out with COVID and I was actually doing um, some of my best thinking happens when I'm doing a plank. And I was listening to one of your Facebook lives and it happened to be broadcasting through my um, Bluetooth speaker. It must've been pretty loud. It was very loud, 
But the point I'm trying to get at is I don't even know how I hooked up my cell phone with the Bluetooth speaker. I'm like, oh, okay, well, th this is great. This is pretty cool. I can't wait to, you know, start some music. But just in that moment is when it hit me. And I'm like, oh my God, two sisters and a book. Of course, we've shortened the name since then. And I called her right away. Now, normally she does not pick up. She's a little bit like my husband, doesn't know how to answer her phone, whatever. But this particular time she picked up the phone. And, you know, here we are almost a year later. So that just goes to show you that even, even with the spark of creativity, even if you feel that it's almost like against all odds, that that spark of creativity can happen especially when shift happens. Right. And I think it's yeah, so interesting. Other, I just, like, I, I was going to say, I think it's interesting, like just even on that really minor point that you said, like she doesn't answer the phone like your husband. If I don't answer the phone when Bridget calls, I get like a 15, 20 minute grace. And then she calls again and like, I better have a, a fucking excuse. Do you know what I mean? Like if that phone is not getting picked up, I'm getting texts, yeah, this I'm getting Facebook. This is big way. No, no, no. Oh, no. Are you dead For in a sure. ditch? No, I'm not dead in a ditch. I'm taking a nap. Relax. I will call you back. So this is both ways. <laughs> No, it is. But what I was trying to say with that is not for once I was not picking on her so much as just saying that I think that that's a different level of engagement with technology that, you know, we, because we've grown up with more of that technology around us and we are more in the social media space, you know, uh, Bridget's super young, so we won't even talk about that, but like she, she's a natural adopter of those things. Um, and I'm pretty au fait with it as well as a, as a result, but it's just already like the difference, like it would never occur to me to not answer my phone. <laughs> like, that's why it's there is to answer the phone. And I'm not picking on you about anyway. it, but I think that it's a really, it's a small indication of the way that things are changing and like the expectations, like Bridget was saying a minute ago that like, the expect she teaches second grade like we're not talking high school kids second graders the expectation is they get their little asses on the tablet on their own they log themselves in they do their shit and then they and they manage that like that is it is not the expectation that mommy is stood over your shoulder and in fact I, what i hear from bridget on the regular is she really wishes all the mommies would get the hell away from them um, and let them learn. I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna shut and let you talk. <laughs> what I was gonna say about that is that for me, that's a preference because I am so savvy with technology. I have no issues being able to walk your student remotely through exactly how to do everything. I know how to tell them to share their screen. I know how to, which vocabulary words to use to get them to click the right button. Um, that's not the case for lots of teachers. I have seen at my school as well as you know, teachers that I know across the country that this was next to impossible for them. And please, please stand right there by your child because I can't help them. I don't know how to tell them to do this because I'm figuring it out. Um, so 
And what I have noticed that I find funny is you either have one extreme or the other with teachers. You either have me that's like, please log your kid onto Zoom and then go away for the rest of the day. Like, I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. You're not helping. You're making my job harder. Um, or you have the teachers that are like, I need you right there all day long. Because the other part that I think that, and not necessarily you guys, but just people in general forget is that all day long, I'm doing two jobs. I'm teaching half of my class in person and I'm teaching half of my class remotely. Neither one is working because I'm trying to do two jobs that take a whole person. And so they're only getting half of my effort because I have to give half of my effort in both places. Um, and I know that for me as a teacher, that's been the most difficult is feeling like neither group is getting what they deserve. Um, if I could be one or the other, it's a whole different ballgame, right? If I could be solely virtual, if I could be solely in-person, then you're looking at something different. Um, but I think that that's one of the parts that people frequently forget is that I'm not just trying to navigate teaching virtually, I'm trying to navigate hybrid. And that is umpteen thousand times harder than being able to focus on one or the other. Right, and I was gonna say, you know, in our grandson's case, he actually went through one, two, I think he's on his second or third teacher. The first, his, his main teacher was on maternity leave. And so it was a substitute that was filling in. She was having the issues with the technology piece to it and balance her personality with not obviously sharing that she was frustrated with also being engaging with the student. That's when my daughter felt, okay, well, let me just, you know, hang out. She didn't stay in the room. She just like, he's in his own space. He'll call me if he needs me. With his main teacher now that has come back, totally different ball game, very tech savvy, knows how to do it. And I actually uh, popped into the room that he was in just to kind of see and, and, and watch how he was actually learning. She was amazing. She really calmed the students if they weren't on the right page. One child came back maybe two minutes late from snack. And she says, oh, don't like, don't get nervous if you're having your snack while you're, you know, should I snack? And, and she really took control of every student's either fears, forgetfulness, getting them right back on track and also the technology piece to it. So she was one of those that just took control. And that is really, not only ease the whole day for them, but also because she's so engaging, it is now really transformed his learning into me being more fun, more excited. You know, he he's looking, he looks forward to it. Where before he just kind of sat there from what my, my daughter said and, and wasn't as engaged as he is now. So I'm blessed that, you know, the last half of his year actually turned out to be very positive. So I can only imagine, I mean, because not everyone's cut out for the technology piece to it and or explaining if you've got to do one thing within that Zoom and some, you know, the, the upper grades, a lot of them break out into breakout sessions. A lot of teachers don't know how to do that. So it really, it was a learning curve for all avenues. And if you were blessed like you were to have the edge on technology, pat yourself on the back because you look at the other adults that were not only, this was a new learning ability for them to kind of like learn themselves as they were going. Now you throw technology in it, which may not have been their forte. Like, 
holy crap, what do I do? This sucks. Like, I got to really do this crap? So uh, kudos to all of you and kudos to all the teachers that really had to seriously pivot, you know, in the health and wellness industry. What we are, are noticing, though, you know, because we, we chat a lot with parents, is the, the mental aspect, the mindset piece to it, where there are sadly some students that have not adjusted well, you know, whether it's the home environment, not getting that support, where they, they might need it a little bit more uh, secure feeling on doing what they're doing, or maybe their teacher is not resonating with them on, on, on this transformation and this pivot. And there's a lot of serious issues that are coming out that we see from the health and wellness side of depressed children. You know, they're, they're, they're finding that many children now are so kind of used to the one-on-one -on -one time, even though they're with their fellow classmates via Zoom, you know, they're missing the, you know, playing with them. They're missing, and that's a really important piece to the social aspect of, of a teacher, but also for that student. And they're finding more and more mental illness and depression is really starting to set in. That's the scary piece to all of this. I'm hoping um, because sadly mental illness has such a stigma and so does depression and anxiety that that's the golden nugget that will open up the waves to say, hey, look, it, let's open up the ocean. Let's open this all up. Let's talk about it. Let's have that conversation and not make it so people feel that it's such a stigma that they can't like I can't I can't tell the teacher my kids you know depressed or he, he's having a meltdown because he's freaked out about doing this and he just wants to take the computer and slam it shut and he's and he shuts down that I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know if that if, if that's part of what you've seen at all Bridget I'd be curious yes absolutely and at least the relationship that I've established with my parents I get those text messages I get he is Throwing a fit, he's refusing to get online, he won't do his work, he doesn't want my help, um, he is just done with today. And I have told my parents, I'm like, please don't push your kid, please don't. If they need to get on, then they can get on. If you need help after hours, if you need... So I, I frequently get um, slapped on the wrist for the rules that I create with my parents because I have an open communication policy. If it's 2 a.m. and you're sitting on your couch and you're watching a movie and you think of a question for me, please text me. Please do it because you're not going to disturb me. I know how to put my phone on silent. I'm good. So I don't want you to forget that question, feel like you can't ask it, whatever that may be for you, send it. You might not get a response until the morning, but send it. Um, and so I, I know that my administration has frequently heard that that is one of the things that parents love about me is that, you know, I have conferences at 730 at night at home. Why? Because I'm a working mom. So I understand that, that you can't do that part. Um, so I have established this very beautiful communication with my parents. Um, and it's definitely one of my strong suits. So yes, what you're saying, I I see daily, I see my kids throwing these bits. I see my kids push their Chromebook down so all I can see is the bottom of it and they leave. Um, but I also have, you know, set that precedent that take a break. If you need a break, take a break. I wish I could. <laughs> there are times where I need 10 minutes and I wish I could close my Chromebook and go take my 10 minutes. And, you know, being an adult, I can't do that. But use it while you're a kid. And please don't think that I'm going to 
get mad at you or yell at you that your child missed 10 minutes of my lesson. Like life's going to go on. It's, it's one of those things that I have told parents over and over again, because they'll say, you know, thank you for helping my student. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm like, this is on you as much as it's on me. My son was virtual all the way until what, Michelle, like right after Christmas, I guess. Yeah. And, that was his big thing is that when he went back, he got, yeah, he was going back. And the only reason that my husband and I finally agreed is because, and, and my son is, is me as, as a five-year-old. So the technology was not the issue. I was getting my son kicked out of Zooms because he was splitting his screen and watching YouTube videos during the lesson. That's my five-year-old. I can't get my students to open two tabs, but somehow my five-year-old on his own figured out how to split his screen and watch YouTube videos during the lesson. Um, so technology wasn't the issue, but it was creating behavior problems. He was lonely. He was bored because on top of that, he's in kinder, but he's at like a second grade level. So it's already a little bit like, well, mom, I already know all this stuff. Um, but then with him being home and not getting that interaction, he's very social. He's definitely probably the biggest extrovert in the house with his sister being the only competition. Um, and it was, it came down to, you know, our, our son's mental health. We could tell that while he was successful academically, the rest of it, his social emotional well-being was not okay. And the only way to fix that was to take the risk. And at that point, our son's well-being outweighed the risk of him getting COVID at school. And so, plus, I will say that, that my campus specifically, my district, has gone above and beyond with, with the COVID safety at school. I mean, we have all of the things. Like, you will see some teachers that have the plexiglass and some teachers that do masks. We have all of it. So our rooms get sanitized daily and each child has an individual plexiglass divider and we have masks and we have face shields and we have all of the stuff. And so my campus has done really well at making me as a parent feel comfortable sending my son back. But I know that I have not been the only one and I've had discussions with my parents about, yes, they, they are worried about sending their students back, but when it comes down to their mental health and their, their social emotional well-being, it's getting to the point where it's, it's not worth keeping them home anymore. So I want to kind of pause us and pivot a little bit there because I feel like we kind of went down a, a really interesting rabbit hole, but not the one that I was hoping we were going to talk about as much. So talking, but talking about support and being there from a mental health perspective, I think that um, one of the things about growing up with sisters is that they're both there to push the boundaries <clears throat> of your mental health, shall we say, um, but also there to support you and especially as we get older. And I'm really interested in how that works for you guys working professionally as well as being sisters. Um, and, and then just also, you know, the whole like, I know how, how Bridget and I both support each other and don't. <laughs> But um, I, I'd love to hear from you guys a little bit more about, about that. Well, I think that's a great question because a lot of things will always come up. Um, for instance, you know, there's always pivots, right? And, but a lot of times there's a pothole. So you may have decided, okay, we're going on this track, but you fell in the pothole. You still have to get up and complete things. So it really was taking a really good look at 
what each of us knew collectively, where each of us was digitally as far as technology wise. I definitely am a little bit better than Carol Sue. Um, and we're okay with that. And it really has balanced us out. Um, you know, for instance, this couple months ago, I learned that you can pre-send an email, you know, you can schedule it to go out um, within Google. I didn't know that, you know, I mean, it's all these, it's all of the little things that help make us organize and well, so that things run smoothly. On a, on a personal note, Carol Sue has always been my my best advocate. When I set out to do my first, no, actually, I think it was the 10th or 11th book, and it, it was very personal in nature, and I'll just kind of leave it at that. And I remember having a discussion with her, and actually with different family members, that this was something that was very important to me, even though it was very personal in nature, it was going to be published and it's going to be out there. And I, one point I had myself doubt about that. Should I really do this? I don't know. But the bottom line is, I, I remember one thing she said to me and something similar that our dad said to me was, if you ever have the opportunity to evaluate where you've been in your life, where you want to go, but more importantly, to make a difference in somebody else's life without even realizing it. And even after whatever number book that was, that I don't remember, I still needed to be reminded of that. So we definitely balance each other off. I think a lot of times we drive each other crazy. I mean, that's that goes without saying. But again, there, there is that balance. And if she was close by, I don't know if you can see in the picture there, those are my um, kickboxing gloves. And uh, I, you know, when she was up, you know, she was flying back and forth last year. And, and I, you know, I can remember putting, the, I said, just put the gloves on. And I think she put the gloves on. She just went, uh, you know, like, you gotta like really hit it. So again, there's always that balance. There's always that camaraderie, but there will always be that love. And we definitely keep the, the business and the personal separate, but they're also collaboratively together. Because when we start talking on our podcast, if we, for instance, if we don't have a, a guest, there have been many, many, many times where I have said, I don't want to talk about this. You know what she flipping does? She talks That's about, about it. it. That's what mine would do. Absolutely. She'd lead with that shit if it was my sister. But you know what? Some of our best conversations came from that because we always have had, yeah. whether it was a listener or viewer, somebody reach out to us and say, hey, that was so amazing that you talked about this. And it really made me think of where I am in my journey with what I'm doing. And this is what I did. So it's all about creating that ripple effect and having that cohesive balance. You know, I think for one of the things that as we've gotten older and, and changed our life place that 
has shifted in my relationship with Bridget that I really appreciate is that when you need to be told a hard truth because you've been the asshole <laughs> on something, she's one of the people I can hear that from. And that's really valuable and that's hard to find. Um, I'm sure you ladies have the same problem we do that some people say we're scary. I think that we are delightful. We're just smart and opinionated and no, we're not gonna take a lot of BS. I'm not because, I'm talking. <laughs> so because we have that reputation, people find us intimidating. It's really hard to find people who are willing to tell you the hard truth and call you out when you're being the asshole. And I think that your sister is in such a unique position to be able to do that because you know that it always comes from a place of love that they're not doing it because they hate your face or because they're jealous or because anything else. They're literally doing it because they love you and because this time you're the asshole. <laughs> I, I'd love to hear other people think, including Bridget, <laughs> on that one. Um, so, I, I mean, you, you basically know how I feel about that. But so I joke frequently with the people in my life that I have one friend. Um, it's only slightly a joke because reality is that, that, I, that I have one friend, aside from my sister. I always say she doesn't count, she's my sister. But she is my best friend at the end of the day. But aside from her, I have one friend. And the reason is, is similar to what my sister said, is that I I unmuted and said, you know, I'm, I'm not arguing, I'm talking. And that's because that's frequently what we get. We are loud, strong, opinionated women. And we have zero issues with whether you think that's okay or not. Um, and we're happy to tell you that. So for us, it is difficult to create relationships with people because that is the immediate, oh my gosh, you're so intimidating. Oh my gosh, you're so loud. Oh, all you want to do is argue. And it, you know, I'm not arguing, I'm just talking. And, and I think that, you know, the other big thing for me, and I know that my sister feels similar, is that don't ask us a question if you don't want the answer, because we are not the ones that are going to sugarcoat this and try to, oh, you poor baby, let me not hurt your feelings. Like, if you say, does this dress make me look fat, you better be ready for the answer, because, and I've always been that way, um, and I've lost friends because of it. I have lost friends from being honest to a fault, um, and so my circle is small, but they know, and as does my sister, and frequently mine and my sister's phone conversations start with, okay, just need to know whether or not I'm being a bitch because other people think I am and I don't. So I need you as a tiebreaker here. <laughs> and there's a lot of times where both of us will go, yeah, no, you're being a bitch. Like you need to chill out. Um, but I think that that comes with our personalities. I think we are so loud and strong and you know, we were raised to be the definition of independent. And I think that we frequently forget that that does translate to hurting people's feelings sometimes. And we don't mean to do that. Um, and so we are really good at kind of keeping each other in check with that and being like, mm, let's word it this way. <laughs> let's not tell them they're a horrible person for this decision. Um, and so but they I, usually are. And I feel like mm -hmm. we really should lead more into just mm -hmm. calling idiots idiots personally. But um, I frequently use my sister as a bounce off. So, hey, I'm about to go say this. Is this actually the way I need to say this? 
and she has much more of the professional side. So she's the, no, no, here's the, the HR in me, right? Let's, let's word it this way. And I'm much more the, the street girl, right? So you, you got a problem with somebody, we can fix this. Um, and so we, we balance each other out in that way. And I think that it does a lot of good. And on top of that, and I know that my sister does the same, I frequently use her to say the things that I can't. So I call her every day, every day on lunch at my job, every single day. She says, I'm like an alarm clock. I know it's 1115 because you're calling. It must be lunchtime. Um, because what I do is I sit there and I, I vent. I tell her, this is the stuff that's happened in the morning that I can't stand. This is, you know, what a parent is doing. This is what my admin is doing. Love my admin. I really do, but it does not mean they're perfect. Um, and so I get... It, it's like a, a, a sense of release and it's nice and it keeps me in check because without that, I am the one that has a hard time swallowing my words. Um, so the people at my job, including my team lead, frequently joke that Uri, I guess, isn't the one. Like, if you want to say something, she's not the one to say it to because I will stand up. I'm not, I'm not your typical teacher. Um, and so, you know, my sister allows me to not have to necessarily push down that part of me, but to express it in a different way. And it is a beautiful, beautiful thing to have. Um, I wouldn't trade that part of my relationship with my sister for anything. Um, it has been a lifesaver, especially this year, to just have somebody that I know that, A, they're always going to have my back, but B, they're going to tell me when this is my fault, when there's something that I need to change. Um, and I have one other friend like that, but she's not quite as available as my sister. So uh, we do, yeah, we balance each other out and we're really good at, at keeping each other in line. Because she does the same with, because my specialty is kids. So she'll be like, their daycare, and I'm like, oh, let's, let's talk about how we could uh, word that in a way that your, your teacher's not going to hate face. So um, we do a lot of that. And it's a, it's a really good balance. We're very yin and yang. <laughs> I think definitely Carol Sue and I are. In fact, you know, we we've often had this conversation that she definitely she definitely is more bold than I am. That is without saying I'm more. I have to process it and think about it. But when I have something to say, you know, even Carol Sue will, will kind of go, "Oh boy, here we go." But you know, and that's our way. Like it, and I have to agree with you, Bridget. Like if don't ask me a question that you are number one that you already know the answer to but don't ask me a question if you really don't know or if you really don't want me to tell you what i know you don't want to hear like that's just wasted energy what do you think kasu yeah, I, I definitely uh, totally agree with all, all three of you amazing women. And, you know, we do balance each out for a reason. And I think the key pieces of trust, you know, we trust in each other that we are so postured in our beliefs. I never have to assume she's going to go one way or the other. I'm, I'm postured and in, in, in how I believe that I have that trust in her. And I think that's why we balance balance each other. We know the time to kind of step back and, and, and pause and reflect while the other is conversing or interviewing or whatever it may be. We recognize each other's strengths. And if we have similar weaknesses, we balance that as well. 
she, you know, as she has talked about, Jam's talked about, is definitely, it's not that I'm not, don't know technology. I do. I don't have the patience for it. Where she has the patience for it. And I'm like, she'll be saying, hey, you know, we got this new app. We're going to try it. I'm like, okay, I loaded it and it's pissing me off already. I'm done. Like, delete, uninstall. I'm done. I can't do it. So I can do it. I just don't have the patience to do it. But she recognizes that. She can sit for hours on a program a new way of doing things, you know, setting up emails in advance. I don't have the time. I'd rather go out and be chatting with, you know, getting different guests on. I, I like that one-on-one -on -one contact, researching different avenues of things that we're going to be doing and let her do that piece because that's her strength. It is not my strength. And I think when you have that mutual respect of you're really good at this, and I'm really good at this. And yeah, there are some things that we are really good at together, but one of us has to take the lead. We, we're respectful enough to let the other take the lead when they need to. And we don't have a problem with, I would answer that differently, or that's really my strong point. I'm going to let her do it anyways. So when you have that mutual trust and posture and, and, and belief of the other, that's not really ever an issue. As far as the personal blurring with the business side, it does blur, uh, you know, she's better at defining the two. I'm not, they all blur together. It's just one big blur to me. You know, what am I doing with you? I'm talking to, am I talking to Jan, the partner, the co-CEO, or am I talking to my sister? It's so blended and that's why it intertwines. And I accept that and she accepts that, that I blur the two. So I think we, we've never had a situation. And if the situation were to, were to ever, uh, arise where there was a definitely she wants something this way she wants that this way we are both both uh, trust each other know that one of us will I, I don't want to use the word give in will compromise and say oh okay you know what I'm going to try it that way there's been many avenues of things that she's wanted to do that I, I wouldn't necessarily do but I'm like, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? We're going to try it. And if it screws up or it's just the bed, oh, well, shifts that. It's out the door. So I'm not, I think that comes with an openness. Um, it also comes with the way that we were brought up. We had uh, six, there's six siblings in the family. And our parents, uh, our mom was an that's entrepreneur. Yeah, it is. It's four, four girls, two boys. So we have two other sisters and two brothers. And we, we learned at an early age you better make your mark, especially where food it comes into play. We, we would have a lazy Susan. And if you didn't like that thing circling real fast, and if you didn't grab what you were going to get, you, you, you weren't going to get it. That's just how it worked. So we, we also had very strong parents. Our, our mom was an entrepreneur at a day and age where women entrepreneurs were really non-existent. Our dad was this, this spiritual hero, healer, very religious-based uh, you know, an excellent in what he did, an excellent communicator, as well as our mom. So we, you know, we come from good roots, good bones. And I think that transcended and was such an easy way to transition to, hey, 5862, you want to do something? Sure, let's do it. You know, it just was a natural response. You know, where we evolve, you know, in 12 months from now, we don't know. But that's part of the journey and part of the embracing of we're doing a lot of things that we thought we would never do. And I think that has something to be said about the age factor. You know, healthy at any age, doing things at any age and not letting them go in the graveyard. 
before you go. We look at things from a totally different perspective, meaning she's at the very end of her 50s. I'm already in my 60s. So how we relate to somebody that's 20, I mean, we've had guests that are 20 years old, we can relate to them, but we're going to look at it from a different perspective because we've already lived that, that, that decade. Um, and we embrace that. We love collectively working with all different generations. And I think that's interesting from our age group because not many women in our age bracket would embrace you know, learning from a 20 year old, learning from a 30 year old, you know, we look at different entrepreneurs and say, oh my God, we love the way that they do this. We've got to try that. So we're always, I feel on the edge, we're always innovative. We're always, we're never, we're never too, too afraid to try that risk. And I think that's why we blend together and work well together. Cause she, she, you know, sometimes like she'll say like, there'll be topics that she'll, she'll be like, mm hmm. I'm like, I have to, I just have to, I can't, like, I have to. And then I'll think about it. And I don't think there's been, I don't think I've ever once said, no, I won't talk about it. And then I talk about it. I just do it because it naturally comes up in, you know, different quirkiness ways of the way our energy flows when we're doing a podcast or we're doing a live on Facebook, it pivots all the time. You know, our husbands are very similar they're like best buds. They're bro, you know, they have a bro bromance going on. So I think between, because we just have that good feel energy with, with all four of us, they allow, you know, us to like kind of do our thing and, oh, Carol, Sue and Jan are doing their thing, whatever. That also kind of eases that, you know, pulling of, oh, is she getting like, you know, if I say to her, I've got to end this podcast early, like John is like, biting at the bullet to go play pickleball or she's doing other work and she's got something else coming up. And then Gary walks in and he's like, when are we going to eat? And she wants to kill him. And, and it, we, it, everything we do is so relatable to each other's lives. I think that's one of, uh, you know, she's not only my sister, she's my best friend. She's the one I could call at 2 a.m. that I can't sleep, blah, 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 blah. Or she would prefer that I call her early in the morning we both are very early people. You know, we arise early, like 4 a.m., 5 a.m., which is bizarro to a lot of you, I'm sure. And I think it has something to do with, again, generation. As you get older, your health and wellness changes so drastically. As you get older, you don't need as much. You need quality sleep, but you don't need as, you know, you don't necessarily need that that forced eight-hour and I don't I think think right now we just would love to get six because we both have littles. So, you know, they get up very early. Right. We would both love to sleep till noon. <laughs> they would let us. I'm not sure that Bridget or I have either one ever not been up for a nap. Like even when we wake up from a nap, we're the kind of women that are like, oh, I mean, I could nap. You know what I mean? Like that's just. And that has nothing to do with the children. Let's be clear. <laughs> for sure. The kids. But they make it worse. They make it worse for sure. For sure. Oh, yeah. I'm also just very amused trying to have the mental image of one of our husbands saying to us, I can't wait to go play pickleball. Like <laughs> I, that's just, that that's just not going to ever be a thing. Her husband is an artist and a musician and way cooler than any of the rest of us. Like he's all in the hippie hoppy music and that kind of stuff. My husband is not 
husband is a big geek and he collects retro gaming consoles and he would prefer to never be in the sun. He's English. So I think he may spontaneously combust in the Texas sun if we let him out for very long. So yeah, like it, that, that was, I think my favorite thing you've said so far, Carol Sue, because the mental image of one of our husbands coming to us and saying, Hey, can we wrap this up? I want to go play pickleball is I think that's my happy thought for the day. Um, that's hilarious. Um, it's, reti- it's retirement living. I mean, when you, you know, he's, he's, been, he's been in corporate America all his life and he's in his second year of retirement and, you know, he, he stays very busy. He does this thing with the gardening, but you know, pickleball was one of those things where we associated with old people and, you know, we, we heard a lot about it, you know, coming to, to Florida, you know, relocating here. And it's such a great, it was, it was one sport and one activity that we could be competitive, um, but actually do together. Uh, he, you know, he's got a, he loves tennis. He, he's good that way. I'm a strong swimmer. Uh, he loves to lift weights. I like to do bands. So, but we don't, we never, we never intertwine them. So the fact, and then when Jan and Gary came to visit, you know, we introduced them to it. So we're hoping that they come down again and we, we play more pickleball because it, it really is a great activity, but it's also, you know, working with your, you know, if you're, you're going to play with your spouse, the oncoming joke of pickleball is how many, you know, married couples actually play together. Cause sometimes it works and other times it doesn't. So it, it is kind of cool to have that relationship spill over into our professional lives. Cause he'll, he'll say like, okay, wrap it up, wrap it up. Well, let's go play pickleball. Like we, we got to get our pickleball on. And I'll be like, go away, go away. I have to say, I'm just so in awe of how much in the gray your life is. Like everything for you crosses all of the lines. And Jan, it's the same. Like your books are about your personal life and that's professional. And I I think Bridget and I are both the kind of people that we, we really like, like everything in its lane. So, you know, she, as a teacher, she has to have a lot of things that are, are separated. But also for me, like I know, and I don't work in mental health because I'm helping people with things that touch on that. So career guidance and that sort of thing, a lot of that touches on, you know, depression and all of that. And I, to keep my sanity professionally when they're like, Oh, how are your kids? Mm -mm, No, we're here to talk about your job search, buddy. Come on. And it's not because I don't want to talk about my kids or I don't like them. It's because I can't have that blend. And I, I'm just really impressed that you ladies have managed to do that at every level and come out sane. So I, do you have any tips on how you manage that? Is it just a personality thing? Cause Bridget, like we couldn't do that, right? No. I mean, mine crosses over a little bit more because my son goes to my school. So, and I am that mom, you would think I wouldn't be because I'm a teacher. Oh, but I am that mom. Three weeks before school started, I was like, where's the sight words? Huh? Where's the list? Let's go. Let's go. Um, And so I think mine crosses a little bit more because of that. Um, And also because, you know, as a teacher, you have to have friends that are teachers. You have to. You can't surround yourself with only non-teacher people because you will go insane because they don't understand. Um, And so I do have, you know, a couple of friends that I I work with. And so it crosses a little bit more, um, but I am very much like my sister in the sense of, I like everything in its box. It needs to stay in its box. The boxes are excellent. (laughs) 
So big on boxes, love boxes, huge on boxes. But you guys have no boxes. You're just like open living with everything. So right. how do you make it work? What is, we, what's well, we, I, I think our, our husbands are very similar, ironically. Where 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 my where Jan and I were similar, but there there are some definite differences. With the two guys, they're like two peas in a pod. Like they're like you know a brother from another mother kind of a situation. So we frequently will joke. You know we'll we'll probably talk fifteen minutes before we do a podcast on what pissed us off about each other's husband. And so it's very relatable. Like can you believe it? Like he he actually interrupted podcast because you want to go play pickleball or I mean Gary like how many times you got to eat a day you you can't wait you can't go open up the refrigerator and, and make yourself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and slap that baby together like come on brother so I mean Jan what do you think I mean I think that's why we we're so relatable with the meatballs that we we love yes oh yeah I mean sometimes it can be a comedy show and you know for instance yesterday and today I said okay, I have to go through the same little talk every day. From this time to this time, I'm going to be recording. So shuddy, shuddy means you you and the dogs are on the other side of the house. Shuddy does not mean that you quietly tiptoe in because nothing about you is quiet. <laughs> Yeah, they're both really loud. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm blessed because my office, you know, I have a, a designated office. I shut the door. I even went as far, I was actually doing a conference and it was really cool. They, they, they gave us little, you know, little things that we could put on the door, like, you know, recording, you know, live Zoom going on. <laughs> and he'd still come in the door. I go, what? Did you not see the sign? Oh, does that mean you're actually on? I go, that's why it's there. So frequently we, we, you know, at some point we hope we have some bloopers in them. Like they, they, you know, frequently will, it's frequent that they'll, they'll interrupt and not, do you see, I got something going on here. I mean, uh, if he needs help making a peanut butter sandwich, Daisy, uh, Bridget's taught her five-year-old. He's very good at sandwich making. We can get Hayden to come and like do some tutorials for people if, if that would be helpful. <laughs> Yeah, they, uh, he's having his own YouTube channel right now. I'm sure you'd be excited to make a video for your husband on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Well, I heard a great, I heard a great line, uh, especially when they ask those dumb questions. And I've actually put it into play. So, well, well, I'm going to share this with your viewers and listeners. When your better half asks you like a really dumb question. But you know, and a lot of times we'll answer it, right? My new line is, well, honey, if I answer that, I'll be just a stunad like you. Now, for those who don't know what a stunad is, stupid it means stupid in Italian. So if I answer that question, I'll be a stunad like you. And then I walk away. And then he has to think about, really? Oh, that was oh, that was a oh, it was a dumb question. Okay, got it. So I, I've been answering that a lot lately and it makes them pause. And then I walk away. I don't, I don't add anything to it. I, I may change the wording up. Like if I was to agree with you on that, I'd be just as dumb. I go. That that would not go down well with either of our husbands. That would be that would be a lead to much bigger blow up than that would possibly be worth. <laughs> As soon as they found out what Stunad was, like that would be a, I'm sorry, 
So we, one of the things that Bridget and I talk about is everybody has a hot button. That's like, when that thing happens, you see red and you quit being your rational self. For Bridget and I both, it's feeling like we're not being listened oh, to. Yeah. If I have had to tell you five fucking times, <laughs> like you have now pushed my, you're not listening to me button. And I like, that's when I like, I need somebody to help pull me back in. For both of our husbands, it's when they feel not respected. So that kind of a comment for them, they'd be like, <laughs> and it would just result in like World War freaking three. It would totally not be worth it. So your husband is obviously, obviously he has a better sense of humor about that kind of thing. Well, it took him a while to figure there. out what Stunan was, but you know, not, I'll use different words. It's not always that particular word, but what I will say is if you think for one second that is going to get better with time. Think again, girlfriend, because it doesn't happen. I, I always say, uh, and I think our daughter picked up on that. She said, I always want to make sure that I'm parenting my son to be self-sufficient at a very early age. Some of it is generational. So for, for my husband and, and, and Gary, the same thing, the moms doted on their sons. You know, no, let me do that for you. Let me do that for you. Let me do that for you. And that carried over into oh, the, even though, even though we put our foot down. So now it's to the point that they're, they're, they, they've gotten better at it because we've really, we do it in a very comical way for them to get the point. I get it. Uh, Bridget and I have ongoing arguments that I am an absolute unapologetic feminist. Like I will stand up and say, yep. Massive feminist. Our mother literally was somebody who burned her bra marching on the Capitol. Like that, we were raised by hippies. That's like that's our life, right? She, on the other hand, will tell you she's not, argue that she's not, and then make sure that she raises her daughter to take over the world and her son to be able to do housework and take care of babies. So I'm not saying. The bitch just doesn't want to be labeled as a feminist. I'm the anti-feminist in lots of ways, though, to be fair. I am very much the black sheep of my family. I say things, and both my mother and sister are like, no, don't say that. What? Um, so, I, yes, I do my daughter every single day, at least twice a day, once in the morning and once at night. It's, are you beautiful? Are you strong? Are you brave? Are you smart? Every day. Every day. And she will tell you. I am the strongest princess. Yes, you are, baby girl. Um, and she can be anything in the world. And yes, my son does take care of stuff around the house. Um, but there are lots of ways that, that I am very much the, the anti-feminist as well, which others in my generation and other generations would sit there with their fingers in their ears and pretend they couldn't hear me. I love it. Uh, it yeah. It is always interesting, I think, and I think part of it is our, because we're 11 years apart, we grew up and our family was, um, I'm trying to think of a nice way to put this. Our parents, <laughs> our, our parents transitioned many times into different environments, I guess is a nice way to put that. So when I was a kid, my parents were like, dirt poor. Like we were on benefits 
we couldn't do field trips and stuff at school because we did not have the 30 bucks to go on the field trip. Like we were those kids. Um, when my sister was little, things had changed. And, and I remember there was one time when she was still a teenager and her dog peed on the floor. And I was like, you need to clean that shit up. And she goes, the maid's coming tomorrow. And if I do that, then how will she have job security? And then flounced off. And I was like, are you shit? So I think part of like, one of the interesting things about our dynamics and like the people that we grew into is that even though we are sisters, we have like this big difference in time and then the, also the environments that we grew up in. Um, so I, I completely feel what you're saying, Carol, Sue, like in terms of there are generational differences between things, there are all of this. And one of, you know, I think that we're lucky and blessed that as sisters, we kind of have a little bit of that just even embedded in that relationship. But I think that um, it definitely, I think it's good to be mindful that everybody got raised differently and that we are all just living the best we can based on the ways that our parents tried to fuck us up, <laughs> including my kids, right? Like, it's just, which ways are you choosing to screw up your kids? <laughs> it's so true. And we have, like I said, we have six, you know, six children and you can definitely see from a generational standpoint, I always, I always said you know, you, you see the wear, the wear and tear of the parent. So, you know, that traditional, you know, your firstborn, you're so excited for all the firsts, everything that they've gone through. And, you know, you want everything pristine, perfect. Your second child, oh, the Cheerio fell on the floor, pick it up and eat it, kid. Like, you know, otherwise you're not going to, you're not going to get a, you know, a refill, whatever. And we could definitely see that within our family, uh, the, the parent wear down, as I call it, they, they, we, you know, after a certain amount. So, so basically Jan and I were like the middle children. So we, we, we were basically incognito a lot of the times. So like if, you know, if I wanted to skip school or have a party, um, they really wouldn't know unless like the older one would wrap me out, which she did several times. So you see that you see that, that is an older sister's job is to rat out the misbehaving youth. Carol, do I expect better from you? You're part of the older sister club. You understand. Yeah, yeah. That is one of our solid Party on, duties. baby. Just bring him on and have a great old time. And yeah, I didn't do I didn't do crap like that. I was but no, because when I got to Cromwell, when I got to high school, okay, there were three or four siblings ahead of me. And I got some of their teachers and they're like, oh, there's a Casella in here. Who's the Casella? Raise your hand. Well, I'd be like, oh, Lordy, another Casella. Like the name Casella was known. Uh, Olivier had a similar uh, situation. I, yeah, my poor, our poor brother is like the, and now for something completely different in our family. Um, he's super quiet, super passive aggressive, like none of the things that my sister and I are. And I was like, a, I was a championship debater. I know you're all shocked that mouthy high school me did that. Well, when then my brother got to high school right after he, they were like, uh, your last name is Olivier. Is your sister's name Michelle? And he was like, one of them. And they were like, have you signed up for the debate team yet? And he was like, here's what I'm not. 
is my sister. I'm gonna go play the tuba. <laughs> I don't have to talk to people if I have the tuba. So yeah, absolutely. I we we feel you on that one. But, well, I don't because I was the oldest, so I got to set the um, the bar for behavior. But my sister definitely had many moments of, and our dad was a teacher as well. So it was, oh God, are you Jerry's kid? Really? Uh, I don't know which was worse, being Jerry's kid or Michelle's sister. Uh, so Jerry's kid never applied to me because I don't know if my sister shared anything, but my schooling was extremely unconventional in all of the ways. Um, so the Jerry's kid never applied to me. The Michelle's sister did, especially when, as my sister said, she did debate. And so, of course, that's kind of like a family thing. So when I became of age, it was, oh, it's time for you to do a debate. And so I was like, okay, sure, whatever. I'll go to this debate tournament. The very first round, they forfeited because they saw my name. Like, they wouldn't even do anything. They were like, you're an Olivier? I'm done. Bye. And would just walk up. So, I, like, I couldn't even try to do debate because my sister had already ruined it for me. They, the last name held a reputation for her. And then in the town that I grew up in, held a completely different reputation for me. So yeah, the, the last name has always been a thing, but daddy never played a role for me. <laughs> well, it is, it is interesting when you have that larger family, you know, the different, and there's something to say about the order, uh, you know, of, of, of siblings within. So, you know, like I said, the firstborn is, is basically the leader, the goal setter, the trend setter, if you will. Um, I was fourth down the line. Jan was the fifth job on the line. So we were, we were kind of muddled through. So Jan was the quieter one and I was not. And uh, we survived. And, you know, it, there is, I, I, I love doing research on the placement of siblings, siblings and, and the characteristics that they, they do hold because it, you know, it's a tribe. You're, 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 everyone has their tribal role. And it is funny to see how it develops, especially as you get older. And it, it is kind of cool. You know, I'm really interested in the same kind of stuff. And it always trips me up because I'm the baby, but I am the baby by so far that I was raised like an only child. So right. because by the time I was five or six, my sister had been in college, my brother was gone. And so now, so I have like this double dynamic going where I was raised like an only child and I'm the baby. So it's, it's all those horrible qualities mixed into one beautiful package. You're welcome. Um, but, but yeah, so I'm really interested in the same stuff. And it all, it does play a factor being raised like an only child because my brother and sister were so much older. They got that sibling, all of the good and the bad that is being siblings growing up together. Um, whereas not only was I an only child, but as my sister said, at that point, my dad had his company. And so my parents were workaholics, part of it because they're boomers, right? And that's, they will work even when they don't have to, for whatever reason, these people want to work. But there would be, I would go weeks without seeing them because they would go to work before I woke up and they would come home after I went to bed. And we lived in a very, very small town that was like population 1200. So it wasn't like I just walked to school with my friends and came home, but so it was such a drastically different environment um, from the way that my brother and sister were raised and then the way that I was raised that it is really interesting to kind of look at 
not only birth order characteristics, but also like parental environment characteristics, right? So it is interesting to see the roles that it plays, but I think the three of us very clearly fall into those birth order roles. Like my sister is all the oldest, my brother is totally in the middle, and I am 100% the baby. And we fall perfectly into what most birth roles should look like. Again, all the good and the bad. Mostly the bad, I feel like. So we um, are out of time, but before we go, I want to make sure that you guys have a chance to shout out for Two Sisters because it is a great and super fun podcast to be part of and and listen to. But is there anything else that you want to make sure listeners and viewers have a, a hear about before we go? Go ahead, Jan. Well, definitely uh, look out for our book, The Quarantine Awakening, and... So much more. We're on YouTube. We are on Facebook, Two Sisters, S-I-S-T-A-S. And check us out. We'd love to have you listen. Leave some comments for us. Reach out to us. You know, let us know what you think. In the show notes, including to the book and all of that. So absolutely, we'll make it as easy as possible to get more of these two awesome women. And I guess I also have to say thank you, Bridget, for um, coming and being with us this morning as well. It was it was, this was really a lot of fun. So thanks everybody. Um, if you have any questions about any of the things that we talked about, feel free to reach out to us always at ONH. Um, and other than that, thank you everybody and have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for having us. You've been listening to, Hey, I want your job. For more information on how you can get your own awesome job, visit ONH Consulting at www.onhconsulting.com. We offer incredible resumes, no-nonsense career advice, and real-world tips for landing a job in today's market. Check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Insta for more insider information. Soon, you'll be hearing us say, I'm Michelle Olivier, and hey, I want your job.